Tom Luganville, National College Football Analyst with ESPN on the Out of Bounds Show. Lugs, we're going to uh, transition, switch gears here to the college football playoff. Y'all did a, a big bowl show uh, last night at ESPN, you and Dan Mullen. Um, talk a little, let's start with the Georgia-Ohio State game. Um, I think everybody has counted Ohio State out because of their second-half performance against Michigan. Um, they dominated Michigan in the first half, and and then they got dominated in the second half, and that's kind of all we remember, but this is a damn good football team. So Georgia is the overwhelming favorite in this college football playoff. How does Ohio State make this a game, Luke's? Well, I... Number one, they can't make the mistakes they made versus Michigan, and they were very stubborn in their defensive approach versus Michigan. They wouldn't back off. They kept playing zero. They kept playing cover one. Um, they were they were trying to challenge Michigan, and Mich- Michigan answered the toll, and 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 didn't make the mistakes that Ohio State made. I really think this game's going to come down to whether or not Ohio State on offense can control the line of scrimmage. Because they're going to be playing a defensive front unlike anything they've seen all year long. And uh, Ohio State, if they can control the line of scrimmage, not just in the run game, but the ability to create play-action pass and give C.J. Stroud time to throw the ball downfield, that's going to, that's going to be critical. Because the one thing with Ohio State and C.J. Stroud is he's not a runner. Right, so you're you're Mich- uh, Georgia right now, and you're saying, okay, we can play eleven on ten, because if if we get in his face, get him off platform, it's not like we're having to take on Bryce Young that can take the front door and you know run it you know forty yards and make three people miss on the way. I think that actually gives Georgia some advantages, um, especially if Ohio State struggles up front on the offensive side of the ball. I think Ohio, I think Ohio State will play. Um, pretty well. I think defensively, they're going to have to change it up some. I, I don't think that they can take the same approach they took versus Michigan. Uh, but to me, this comes down to whether or not C.J. Stroud can throw the ball into tight windows with people in his face. Because I wouldn't be surprised, and I said this last night on the show, I wouldn't be surprised if Georgia takes the same pro- approach versus Ohio State that they took versus Tennessee. Yeah. And they just line up and they say, okay, we're going to press all of your receivers at the line of scrimmage. We're not going to let you get a free release off the ball. And we're going to see if C.J. Stroud can throw the ball into very tight windows with people in his face when guys aren't running wide open. And George has got the talent and the confidence to play with that type of mindset. What? So do you expect eventually Georgia big by double digits or – or Ohio State can run this thing into, you know, five, six minutes left to go in the game within a, a possession? Yeah, I think this is a fourth-quarter game. I really do. I think Ohio State's talented enough for it to be. Um, you know, again, I think when you have teams with these types of athletes, execution is just going to come at a premium. There's, there's, there's such a small margin for error for both teams. Mm. And so then the kicking game comes into play, right? And – field position comes into play. All of these little things that maybe when you're superior in talent to the opponent don't play as big a role because maybe the game's never all that tight, all of a sudden play a big role. And so to me, um, it could be a battle of attrition, if you will. 
How does Ohio State and Jim Knowles, and everybody's only thinking about that second half where McCarthy and them torched them for those, what, four plays over 140 yards, and, mm-hmm. and, and then the game got out from underneath Ohio State. How does Ohio State disrupt Stetson Bennett, who really hasn't had any pressure, uh, much to any pressure this year, Tom? Well, I, I think they're going to have to change it up significantly. Again, I did not like the approach. I think I referenced on your show after the Michigan-Ohio State game that Urban Meyer hit the nail on the head at halftime with his analysis when he said, Ohio State's going to have to change it up. They need to back out of this cover one and cover zero stuff because Michigan's going to break one and there's going to be nobody left at the second level. And he was right. It happened twice in the fourth quarter, and it cost Ohio State uh, the game late in that game. So in order for them to try and create some havoc, I think they got to take a similar approach to how they defended uh, Penn State, all right? Um, you know, simulated pressures, not always giving Stetson Bennett in that offensive line a beat on where pressure may be coming from, filtering the gaps in the A-gap on both sides of the center and then dropping out zone pressures, zone blitzes. If they continue to just keep it at a cover zero where it's man-to-man across the board, nobody in the middle of the field, or cover one, you know, where the middle of the field's closed with a a high safety and you're playing man-to-man across the board, you're making it too easy on the pre-snap read. Force Georgia to have to make post-snap adjustments. Uh, Okay, so let's go to Michigan TCU. Um, Two phenomenal quarterbacks, uh, Lukes. And McCarthy's got some wiggle and mobility in his game that, Harbaugh has not had, and boy, I thought he played. I mean, golly, when you look at what he did against Maryland, Penn State, Purdue, and Ohio State when they really needed it, the guy came up big. Uh, Are you expecting a close one with Michigan TCU in the other semifinal game? Uh, I am. This is kind of like I would like to have some type of an upset pick. This is my upset pick. Um, I think TCU's got better players across the board than people think they do. You know, they've got – their quarterback's first team all Big 12. Their running back's first team all Big 12. One of the best receivers in the country, Quentin Johnson, first team all Big 12. And here's the most important thing. Their two corners could play anywhere in the country, both of them. Um, Hodges Tomlinson and Newton. Those two guys can get in your face and completely lock you down. And I think the TCU is going to feel confident enough at times to say, okay, we're going we're gonna to keep the, 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 the allowable number in the box to – defend the run because if TCU can't stop the run, none of this other stuff matters. But I think they feel good enough with their two corners to feel like that they can, they can have a numbers advantage in the box and really make Michigan have to earn it. Um, That doesn't mean you get as stubborn as Ohio state got. I think that uh, TCU will be smart enough to change it up um, and, and, and make sure that, you know, they're, they're not uh, putting themselves at a disadvantage by not having anybody at the back end between the numbers on the field. But TCU, to me, is built for this type of game. They've got a chip on their shoulder. Everybody's doubted them every step of the way. Everybody's going to doubt them leading up right to kickoff. And my only concern for TCU is that Michigan's overall depth eventually takes its toll and they pull away as a result in the second half. But I think that there's a better match of talent between these two teams than people think there is on the surface. All right. Tell me about Garrett Riley, Lincoln Riley's younger brother. Uh, he's, he's really kind of a clone. Um, 
you know, you're going to get the, you're going to get the same stuff. The run game is inside zone and guard tackle counter. All right. And then everything's going to come off of that. The play action pass is going to come off of that. The quick screen game to the perimeter is going to come off of that. And everything that they're going to do to get the ball into the hands of their playmakers in space sets up the vertical passing game. And again, they're not a drop back team. Uh, they're going to move the pocket. The play pass and getting the ball out of your hand quickly is a staple of that offense, but it all comes off play action. It all comes off the zone stuff, inside and outside zone. And like I said, the counter play, they love Lincoln and Garrett both love the counter play. And um, that's where Kendra Miller has been really, really good in the run game. I think he's got some similar talents to his brother in the sense that he is an effortless play caller when it comes to timing mm. and just having a knack and a feel for knowing what needs to come next. You know, you don't see, you don't see this team discombobulated. You don't see them having to call timeout with three seconds left on the play clock. They have an idea of what they are, who they are, what they're going to next. And it's boom, boom, boom. And um, I just think that's something you either have or you don't. Yeah, Kendall Bryles has a little bit of that. Yeah. We've seen it with, we've seen it with Lincoln, Chip Kelly, maybe as good as there is in college football. And I think Garrett Riley's right up there with him. Now, who do you, if Bryce Young is your number one QB in the 2023 draft, who is Tom Lugan Bill's number two QB out of the, the group? Oh, boy. <laughs> that is a really, really tough one. And everybody's going to say, well, it should be, it should be CJ Stroud. I, to be honest with you, I think there's going to be a lot of people take a long look at C.J. Stroud and try to figure out why didn't it work for Dwayne Haskins, all right, the late Dwayne Haskins, because I think they're very, very similar players. Um, obviously, Justin Fields is a completely different, guy, different type of guy. Why didn't it work for Cardell Jones? Um, and I think C.J. Stroud's a, a really good player. I really do. I'm not on the Will Levis train at all. Um, I'm just not. Uh, I'm going to give you a sneaky good player that I think um, is so much better than what he's getting credit for from a draft stock standpoint, and that's Jake Hayner at Fresno State. I think he's a guy that will continue to rise up people's boards as a a player that could be a, a, a long-term NFL type of guy. Okay. I know Hendon Hooker got hurt, but up until then, and look, these guys – usually bounce back from, from knee surgery pretty damn quick. Um, did he move up? Did he do enough to move up your, because all these are, you know, here's my theory, Lugs. You played the game. You played quarterback at the power five level, but all these guys are system quarterbacks in some way, shape or form. So I kind of tossed that out the door. Did Hennon Hooker do enough this year to move way up the draft board for Tom Luganville? Yeah, he did a lot to move up. I think it started when he took over the starting reins last year and proved that he could be efficient and, more importantly, consistent because that was the issue with him at, at Virginia Tech. He was just so streaky. There was never any consistency of performance, and I think that's above and beyond everything else. What he's shown the most is the ability to, to consistently perform at, at a high level. Now, listen, from a system perspective, you know, and we've had the air raid conversation and, and things of that nature. Um, that's not been a, a, a quarterback friendly transition to the national football league 
for the vast majority of prospects that have played in it. Now, we've obviously seen Patrick Mahomes have a significant amount of success. We seem to be seeing Geno Smith get a second wind. Um, Jared Goff has his moments. But if you look at all of the Texas Tech guys, all of the Washington State guys, the Baylor guys, the Houston guys, the West Virginia guys, um, we haven't seen that transition, number one, made seamlessly, or somebody really, truly pan out as a franchise-style player. And fair or unfair, that's going to be heavily scrutinized with a guy like Hendon Hooker when you look at his career prior to arriving at Tennessee. All right. Do you? Well, I've got 30 seconds. Do you expect Alabama to show up? You know, the first question I'm asking, because that's actually my game, I've got the Sugar Bowl this year. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, which players for Alabama decide to play? You know, I think that's a big component to this. Um, And you're right. Maturity is going to be a big thing to look out for. Are they going to perform like they did against Oklahoma and Utah at two losses because they're disappointed and they're boohooing about not being in the college football playoff? Or are they mature enough to move on and cherish the privilege of playing into the Sugar Bowl? That's a great point. All right, I'll give you three recommendations, restaurants. Irene's, Desi Vegas, and Cafe Atchafalaya. You'll have a great time in New Orleans. We'll talk soon. There you go, pal. All right, man. Thank you. Be good. Thanks, Tom Luganville. The Out of Bounds Show, brought to you by Farm Bureau Insurance. Bundle your car and home and save with your local Farm Bureau Insurance agent. We're live in the Bank Plus studio. Bank Plus, it's more than a name. It's a promise. And all the show today, you can watch right now on YouTube. Search Out of Bounds Sports or Facebook. Search the Out of Bounds Show.